Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a message that was given by Tom Job on Sunday morning, July 25th, 2021, from the book of Philippians in chapter 4. I guess this is the last one of these. So, oh... I've, I guess I've been doing a thing on um, called the invisibles, like Paul's attitude, like he had such an amazing attitude of peace and joy all the time, even though he was in prison and kind of going through the letter he wrote from prison to the Philippians and saying, you know, and just like, how did you do this? And, and it was really being aware of an invisible reality called, I guess I just called them the invisibles. So, and, and but this one is, um, well, I just wanted to read one verse. I wanted to, but I don't, um, have a Bible up here and I couldn't find one. So, but I think I know it. It's, it's Philippians chapter four and it's verse eight. And Paul said, whatever, finally brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is righteous, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If there's anything that's excellent or worthy of praise, think about these. Lord, help us to understand this. Um, help us to know what that what you're telling us, like how to think about the world we're in. In Jesus' name, amen. So like whatever's true, just whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, and admirable, think about that. I mean, is that just kind of like that? Try to have happy thoughts. Like, I mean, is it, you know, kind of like, is that kind of saying like raindrops, you know, like in the sound of music, like raindrops on roses, whispers on kittens, and bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens. Just, these are a few of my favorite things. And if, if the dog bites me, a, a dog just beat you like a dog, a dog bite. Well, you, you know how traumatic it is? And you know, raindrops on roses, it's, I mean, it depends. Like if it rains on your roses, like in the morning, that's fine. If it rains on your roses in the evening, um, they get this thing called, it's like, it's this mildew and you can't get rid of it. And I mean, I tried to raise roses one time. It's easier and cheaper to raise children. And they, and they, if they get that black mildew that you, um, you not only have to replace the plant, you have to replace the dirt like in your yard, in your, in your yard. And I mean, you know, the idea of just try to think about positive things. I was reading an article one time and it, it was saying how to have a more positive, positive, you know, mentality and be more positive. And it said, it had several suggestions, three of them. One of them was take a shower and visually let your problems go down the drain. Just imagine your problems going down the drain. Two, yellow things. Think about yellow things. Look at yellow things. Yellow is a really positive color. It'll make you feel more positive. And three, spend some time every day upside down with your on your head on your because it makes the blood flow and it makes you feel more positive. And I had a friend one time. Um, it was actually the. It was actually. Um, Steve Chesney, my, the Tennessee Regional Young Life Director, who they woke up, he and Kathy woke up, and something wasn't right. Um, it, it smelled funny. He stepped out of bed and stepped into two feet of sewage that had come up through all the neighborhoods. Sewage had backed up into his house, and he had two feet of sewage in his house. So um, you think, Take a shower, let it go down the drain. Okay, no, that, that is the problem. The, the, think about something yellow. No, no. Uh, stand on your head. No. <laughs> you know, but um, 
So, you know, I don't, I don't, by the way, that raindrops on roses and all that and just try to think about positive things, it didn't really work for, um, I was reading an article in the Smithsonian Institute magazine about the Tropp family, Maria von Tropp. It didn't really work. She was not Mary Poppins, I'm telling you. They said she could go off. She would go off on those kids and just get furious, at, like just like that. And they said she would scream and throw things and slam doors. And then like a thunderstorm, it would be over and she would be completely recovered. It would take the captain, they said, a little while longer to recover from, you know, so um, that all that stuff didn't really work for her. But I think one thing the New Testament tells us is um, you need to expect life to be tough. The only way you can make it worse is think that it was, should be it should be easy. Jesus said, in this world, you'll have tribulations. And the, the word for tribulation is a word that means squeezing, like tight places. I remember one, gosh, this was a few years ago, and um, we'd had a snowstorm and an ice storm, and I thought, this is a great day for jogging. And so I went out, and I slipped and fell and severed my rotator cuff and had to have an MRI. I mean, you talk about a tight place. I mean, it's super tight in there. And I thought, if I sneeze, in here and hit the ceiling, which was right here, and get a bloody nose, I could drown, like, inside of this. And, you know, and, and you know, and you, it, but it's just good to expect it. I, I had to YouTube, so for a long time I had my right arm in this thing, and I had to YouTube uh, how to do things, like, with one hand that you weren't used to, and how to tie your shoes with one hand. There's, like, several ways to do it. But there was one guy who, um, he was only born with one arm, and um, he could teach you a lot of stuff. I mean, he was so cheerful and everything, but he's like, it's super easy, and he showed you how to tie your shoes, and it was so fast, I was like, I didn't even see how you did that, you know, and he said, there's nothing to it. I'm like, well, you're cheating, like, you only have one arm, like, this isn't fair, you know, but the, but there was, a, um, James said, you're going to just fall into Problems. You just fall into them. It's the same word that's used in Luke chapter 10 of a guy going down the road and he just fell among thieves and they beat him up and they left him by the side of the road. And then a scribe went by and just looked at him and a Pharisee went by and looked at him until somebody helped him. And I, this was a couple of years ago. I was just jogging down the road in my house about 7.15 and I just slipped and landed on this leg. And I picked it up, it was kind of locked at a right angle, and my knee was on the left side of my leg instead of where it was supposed to be. And there was like a ditch where my kneecap was, and I could put like my middle finger in it. And I thought, oh, I think you've done something. And so I just pushed my leg straight, and it popped back up on top. And then I let it go, and then it went back over to the left side of my leg. Well, I stood up, it was 7.15, I was in my running clothes, kind of bleeding. A scribe came by, and she looked at me, and drove on. And then a Pharisee came by. He looked at me and he drove on. And I'm like, I've read about you people. You know, it's just like, but it, it's just that life is going to be hard and it's going to be, you know, full of difficult stuff. But like James says, you can still have joy. Like even though, I mean, you can think all the positive things you want, but life is going to, it is going to be hard. But even in the middle of all of it, you can have a ton of joy because I mean, just because of the stuff we believe, like what we believe about Jesus, there's a place in 
Romans chapter 8, where Paul said, you know, when you think about what you believe about Jesus, if God is for me, who can be against me? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How will he not with him freely give us all things? Who can, who can bring any charge against God's elect? Christ is the one who died for me, who is risen, who is, a, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, who intercedes for me. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. And then he quotes a psalm. It's the 44th Psalm which is a real kind of real gripey kind of psalm. Like it's one of the, like a lot of times in the Psalms, it's one of those things where it's like, God, why are you so terrible to us? Like you're treating us so bad. I mean, you don't go out with our armies anymore. And I mean, if we had betrayed you, I could see it, but I feel like you kind of betrayed us and you deliver us over to death. You're, you just treat us like sheep to be slaughtered. And Paul said, and he just quoted that. He said, he said, nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus. As it is written, we're delivered over to death. We're counted as sheep to be slaughtered. But I don't care. Jesus loves me. We can do all things through him who loves us. You know, there's a, in James chapter one, James says, when he said, whenever you have like a problem that you don't expect, he said, it's, it's a test. It's a test of, a lot of times people will go through something and they'll, and they'll say, yeah, I went through this thing. I didn't do very well. I guess I just wasn't strong enough. It's like, nope, it's not a test of that. It's not a test of how strong you are. It's not a test of how weak you are. It's a test of your faith. Like your faith is, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and all things visible and invisible. And in Jesus Christ, God of God, light of light, true God, true God, begotten, not made by whom all things are made. This is what I believe. I believe some things. And... When I go through a problem, it's testing whether or not I believe that. I'm going through a problem, but I believe God loves me because Jesus died for my sins. I, I, that's what I, I don't know why this is happening, but I believe God loves me. Two, I believe Jesus paid for me. I don't think I'm being punished for anything because Jesus paid for everything wrong that I've ever done, do or will do. And so I don't know why this is happening, but I'm not being punished for anything. And three, I believe this is part of a plan in some way. I don't know how, but God's working out a plan. And so I'm going to be joyful no matter what. Okay. So that's the piece of this that I've been lately thinking about a lot. Like when something happens to you and you know it's a part of a plan, but I can't really see how this is fitting into a plan. I believe it. And the reason that it's really, really difficult to understand how whatever's happening to me is fitting into a plan, which I believe it is, is because the plan that God is working out for my life is, is interconnected to an almost infinitely complicated networking plan of the advancing and accelerating and accumulating kingdom of Jesus in the world. In other words, my life and my plan are a part of what God is doing in advancing the kingdom of God in the world. And it transcends boundaries and it transcends races and ethnicities and nations 
and centuries. I'm a part of something humongous. The most important, the, 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 the first message that Jesus ever preached and the most, and the message that he talked about most consistently and the, the subject that as you read through the gospels that was on his heart by far the most was this, the kingdom of heaven. And what that means is the advancing, accelerating reign of Jesus in hearts and wills and eventually over the whole world. Jesus died and rose from the dead and was lifted up into heaven and is ascended in heaven from where he presently is orchestrating the advancement and the acceleration of the reign of Jesus in hearts and minds of people from every nation, race, ethnicity, and century around the world. It's, the, it's about the kingdom of heaven. And it was the most important thing on his heart. And the kingdom of heaven, it's not, I mean, you look down through history, it doesn't mean like one nation with some, with a feeling of heavenly destiny conquering other nations in Jesus' name, even though there's been a lot of that. I've been reading a book about World War I and J.R.R. Tolkien. And at the beginning of World War I, the Archbishop of Canterbury or somebody said that England, as they looked into that conflict, considered themselves a polished arrow in the quiver of God with a special mission from God. And the head of the American Baptist said that as the Americans went into it, we were on a mission for the destruction of injustice and being sent on a holy crusade to continue the invasion of the continuing sacrificial service of Christ in the world and the redemption of the world. And Wilhelm, Kaiser Wilhelm II said the German people were the chosen people of God and that he was anointed by the spirit to be God's special weapon and sword. Yeah, just throw a match on that and see what happens. I mean, just all, all of that added. The kingdom of God is a, it's a borderless kingdom that people, men and women and boys and girls from every country and ethnicity and race seek and find and enter into it from wherever they live. And if they go and live somewhere else, they can just as easily find it from there. It's not a political party imposing their values on a society that doesn't believe in it. The kingdom of God is more a spiritual family of people who are learning to love the values of their king because they've been born again through faith in him and now share his spiritual DNA. It's not people... You know, just trying to win fights. It's people, it's people giving up their fight and surrendering to the heart of the king. And as the kingdom of God advances more and more deeply in the world, it also advances more and more deeply in every human heart that is a, 
that is a subject of the king so that eventually and gradually as the kingdom of God grows in a human heart, that person doesn't care about anything except things that matter to their king. They don't care about money. They don't care about power. They don't care about security. They care about love and mercy and kindness and justice to, to people who are alone or people who are disadvantaged or people who are disfavored because those are the ones who are closest to the heart of their king. You know, there's a place where there's a place where, um, so Matthew chapter 13, the gospel of Matthew was predominantly the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. We're talking about it and how was it coming and what is the king like and what does the king care about? And, and so there is a chapter, chapter 13, which is so completely unique because Jesus was telling a bunch of enigmatic stories. The whole chapter is a chapter of stories talking about what the advancing king would look, kingdom would look like from the time when the king came the first time, born in Bethlehem, to die and pay for the kingdom until he comes one day a second time to take possession of it. And what will it look like in the time that we live in? And he said, sometimes it will look like something that it never should have looked like. So it'll be like a little, a tiny little seed that could make a lovely little bush, but it turns into a gigantic tree, bigger than it ever should have been. And birds will nest in it. And in that chapter, birds are always bad. In that chapter, birds are the devil. And you look at the, like, what it's looked like, you know, down through the centuries and the crusades and people saying, you know, why don't we just go conquer, burn and pillage in Jesus name? Hey, why don't we not do that? You know, it's like, no, watch, it's going to be super cool. And it was super, was not cool. And, you know, and it's just been a history of ministries becoming machines, which and culminating in, in power plays and corruption and sex scandals. But there are other places, little corners in that chapter where he said, but the, where it really grows is that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is going to grow like, like a little seed, like seeds, quietly in the soil, quietly growing. And nobody can see, but it's growing. In fact, there's a place where he said, Actually, the seeds are the sons and the daughters of the kingdom planted in the world, quietly growing, growing up. And hearts are being won quietly for the king. So, so back to that Philippians thing in Philippians 4, like verse 8. So when Paul said, Whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's um, lovely, whatever's admirable, admirable. Think about those things. Okay, so that word think, there's a lot of words in the New Testament for think. That word there is never translated think anywhere else. It's used 41 times in the New Testament. It doesn't mean just think about positive stuff. It's a word, it's the word logizomai, and it means consider something to be true. It's the word that's translated over and over again in the book of Romans. Reckon this, reckon this to be true. It's a word that means count on it. Count on this happening. Count on it. 
You may not see it. You may not hear about it. You may hear a lot of other stuff, but the kingdom of heaven is quietly growing. Whatever is true, it's true. It's truly happening every day. Count on it. The kingdom of God is growing and people are giving their hearts to him all over the world. And it's a, it's a noble thing. Noble things are happening. So the word noble, the Greek word, is a word that means serious. It's, it's really the word awesome in the sense of awe-inspiring. It's, it's where we get the word gravitas, like something. It, it can be translated dignified. Dignified things. Today, someone somewhere is going to open their heart to Jesus and they're going to find their dignity. <laughs> they're gonna find out who they really are. You know, I've, I've been reading because of Bem's book and I've been thinking a lot about Paul, Brand, Paul um, uh, Philip Yancey shepherding that Bem and Jenny through their book about healing and how he shepherded Dr. Paul Brand through his book about healing, which is, which is another beautiful book, but Dr. Paul Brand was the head of a leprosy, the largest leprosy in the world in India. Loved Jesus, a brilliant person, but he worked prime also, not only to, he was the one who discovered the microscopic microbiological cause of leprosy, but helping people to heal not only from their physical wounds, but also from their emotional wounds. And he considered procedures that gave them back their dignity because to be a leper in India was a source of immense shame. And people were suffering from immense shame. And he would help them have eyebrows and help them have prosthetic noses so they didn't have to be ashamed of themselves. And he treated them with dignity. There was a young man named Sadan who didn't get to go to his son's wedding because of the shame of being a leper and the shame he lived with. And he found people who shared the love of Jesus with them. And Dr. Brand and his wife Martha who touched, who touched him when he, they examined him. And he began to discover that he was precious in the sight of God. He always treated Dr. Brand with great reverence and veneration and exaggerated, you know. And he always tried to get him to stop it. But he started to discover who he was that he was a person of dignity because he was a child of the king. And Dr. Brand said one time they were having a communion service one Sunday evening and you know, a few people, 20 people there or something and they were having communion and Sadan was to his left and he always called him Dr. Brandon. As the communion bread passed, you were supposed to take it and say, and take your piece, hand it to the person on your right and say, this is the body of Christ. And when Sadan took his piece, he handed the bread to Dr. Brand and said, looked him in the face and said, Paul, this is the body of Christ. Right, righteous things are happening. You know, I think about, I think about a young man at the Morgan County Prison who came to know Jesus and I asked him, I said, he was going through a hard time. I said, Terry, how are you doing? He said, well, I'm kind of depressed right now. And I said, well, how about reading the Bible? Is it helping you? And he said, I don't really, I read about the first grade level. I can't really read it. So I got the Jesus Storybook Bible and snuck it in there. Well, you're not supposed to be sneaking stuff in and out. Smuggled it in there, gave it to him, and he cried. And he just said, somebody would do that for him. And then and he, started, he started to try to read it. And then he got the idea of starting to copy the Bible by hand. And he started to hand copy the Gospel of Matthew. And after about three weeks, he said, I can spell heaven. 
I can spell, he copied the font. I can spell righteousness. I couldn't spell dog and cat. And as he continued, I began to see that his face didn't match his tattoos anymore. I began to see righteousness on it. But you could see the Sermon on the Mound on his face and things that mattered to his king. In one year, he copied the entire Gospel of Matthew, the entire book of Psalms, the entire book of Proverbs, the entire book of Isaiah, and the Gospel of John. And he went from first grade to seventh grade level by himself. And when he got out, he wanted to give me something to just, I don't know, thank me for helping him. And he gave me Luke chapter 15, copied by hand. It's on a shelf in my house. <laughs> you know, pure things are happening. Things that are pure. There's, you know, there's been, there's so much skepticism, like all the vaccinations and there's so much skepticism and cynicism. People saying, don't take that thing. It'll make you infertile. Don't take that thing. Bill Gates will know everything you do and da, 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 and all that stuff. And the reason that I took the vaccine early on was because of one person because of a man uh, named Dr. Francis Collins, who's the head of the National Institutes of Health and the smartest person in America and was the person in charge of mapping the human genome. And he's a man who loves Jesus Christ. And he said, it's safe, take it. We need people to try it out on. I was like, I trust you. I'll, you can try it out on, on me, you know. And while everybody was screaming and yelling on their cable news, something pure and quiet has been happening all year. Dr. Francis Collins has been sharing how as a medical student, he's about 80 at the University of North Carolina, taking care of patients who would die. And they would say, don't worry, Dr. Collins. She said, I know where I'm going. Do you know where you're going? And he said, I didn't. I had never thought about it. I was a scientist. I had never asked the important questions of life. And so I, I didn't know what happened after people died. And so there was a minister on my street. And I knocked on his door and said, I have a question. I don't know how to know what's going to happen to you after you die. And he talked to me, and he gave me Mere Christianity, a book about who Jesus was, why he died, and how you could have a new life. And I read it. And I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal savior. And all year, with everybody else screaming on their things, he's been quietly sharing that story on PBS, on NPR, in the Washington Post, in the New York Times. Quiet, pure things are happening. And the kingdom of God is growing. Things that are lovely. It's a word that means love. The kingdom of God is quietly growing in ways that build bonds of love. Count on it. You know, so I had a guy one time. He was in prison. He was an immigrant from Columbia. He was up at the Morgan County Prison. He was in there for burning down a church. He burnt down a Catholic church because of things that happened when he was a kid. And his problem was, his problem was volcanic rage. He was filled with rage. And so he came to know Jesus, and he began to grow and learn about the love of Jesus and how Jesus was calming the rage in his heart like the storm on the Sea of Galilee. 
and he wanted to learn Greek, and he became sweet, and to help himself with his rage problems, they allowed him to crochet. And so this, this guy who was so filled with raging anger was finding peace through Jesus and crocheting. And one day he gave me a big puffy pink heart that he had crocheted for me. And you're not supposed to smuggle stuff in or out of there. What are you gonna do? I just stuck it in my pocket and I thought, if I get caught with this big pink heart, what am I gonna tell him? An inmate crocheted for me. So, but it was lovely. So, you know, so I just, I'm almost done, but I, there's a friend I have, uh, you know. So w when I started going to the Morgan County Prison 10 years ago, they, there was a guy, there was a, a guy, a guy who took my very first class. And he was one of those people who helped me to understand so many people in prison. If they could relive 20 years of their life, the worst, I mean, if they could relive the worst 20 minutes of their life, they would go back and do it. But then they're in prison for 20 years. So, so many of them give their heart back to God. The kingdom of God advances in it. They become extremely good at walking with him in the most discouraging and many ways and uniquely ungodly place. And you find out, I guess I'm teaching you stuff, but I have found a brother who has stuff to teach me about how to stay encouraged, about how to be godly in ungodly places. And I found a friend. Um, I, I, I have brother, a brother in Christ here who has a lot to tell me. Well, anyway, he took every class I ever did. And, uh, when, and then when our worship team started going up there, everybody fell in love with him, you know? He's just a precious brother in Christ. But one thing that's always been uh, a burden to him is that he has a wonderful family, but that he wouldn't be able to take care of his parents as it, because he was incarcerated. And he had a dread that his parents were gonna, what if they died? And he wouldn't be able to go to the funeral, you know? And so, um, well, so all of a sudden in the last couple of weeks, his mom's not doing well. And in the meantime, during the coronavirus, he's been, he, he requested to be transferred to another facility in, in Memphis, which is a transitional facility, um, really, really small, so, as, so he could be near his family. But anyway, um, I was able to tell him that when his mom goes to heaven, she's going to know that she had a son who loves Jesus Christ and who was a godly man. And it turned out that there may be a possibility that because this is a transitional facility, that he may be able to go to a private family wake um, when it happens. So I was talking to his sister and I said, hey, we thought of something, you know, that Lee thought of something because Lee and Christine Potts and, you know, and, and, you know, Thomas and, cheer we just we all love them and and Nina and Lee said I don't know if he has a suit up he's been in there a long time maybe I don't know if he was that size when he went in but he's my size if y'all don't want to have to worry about that I can overnight my suit 
so that he could wear it? And I told his sister that. And she chuckled and she said, no, 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 that'd be okay. And then I could tell she, I could tell that it touched her. That people that she don't, doesn't even know considers her brother their brother. And that, and that we're a family in the kingdom of God. True things are happening. Dignified things are happening. Righteous things are happening. Pure things are happening. Lovely things are happening all the time. I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of it as long as I live. I'm counting on the kingdom of God quietly growing, and I want to be a part of it as much as I possibly can all the time. If you don't really feel like you're in it, give your heart to the king and ask him to give you a piece of it. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for beautiful things that you're doing all the time. And um, thank you that um, your kingdom is quietly growing. It's outside of the yelling and screaming. We're love and pure things are happening. Let us be a part of helping people in a lovely way, in a loving way, surrender their heart to the King of Kings before he comes and takes over this whole mean, hateful world and makes it into a lovely place. In your precious name, amen. Well, everywhere you turn, it seems there's a face turned down with the tears in their eyes. Is it a nightmare that the world streams and the pace of the crowd doesn't slow as it goes by? And what can I really do with just these two hands at my side? Is it that simple? Can I make a ripple in this overwhelming time? So today I'll take one step, I'll hand out one cup of water, and it ain't done yet. He's gonna pour it out farther. I'll take Take our loaves, 
take our feet. 